All right. Well, good morning, New Life Church. How's everybody? Everybody good? Alive? Awake? All right. Awesome. Thank you, Lori, and the worship ministry, the team this morning. Spectacular job. Brought an old school song back from Gary Oliver. Yeah, some of you guys remember that one. That's awesome. But that's true. His word is true, his, and his promises are yes and amen. And a good encouraging uh, message there from Thomas for all in the house to, that serve and make things happen. That was one of our prayers. We prayed before service this morning, just expressing to God we are thankful for each other. Amen? Amen? You thankful for each other? I know sometimes we can get on each other's nerves. I get that because people is people. I understand. But when it comes down to the things of the Lord and what he has for us, I'm thankful thankful for all of you. And I'm thankful today, uh, one of our elders in the church, Thomas Varghese, is going to be bringing the word today, one of uh, uh, bringing the message that God has placed on his heart for us this morning. Thomas has been serving, he and his family have been serving with the church for a long time, and uh, he's a very good brother, very dear friend, and, uh, but he also, here's what I love about Thomas, is he loves God's people. He loves God's people, loves you. And I'm thankful to have him as a co-laborer here in our church. So help me welcome, as Thomas comes, Thomas Varghese this morning. Thank you. At least some of you are happy that I'm up here anyway. From the week. No, I'm just kidding. I like to mess with you guys, you know that. Well, praise the Lord. Ooh. <clears throat> I'll get a little bit louder, James. You can back off. Well, actually, that was my message earlier. I'm done. You guys can go home now. <laughs> Too good to be true, right? One of the kind of half jokes <clears throat> at a church that I was previously pastoring was somebody said, well, when do you guys quit? When does the church stop? And the first question was, who's preaching? Because depending on who was preaching, the service would be small, medium, or large, right? You can guess where I ended with. <laughs> That's my wife says extra large. Amen. Well, it's kind of uh, funny. Several, uh, you know, several weeks ago, maybe even months ago, when Jeremy and I were talking about, <clears throat> you know, some of the services that uh, we shared, and immediately, uh, as it happens, a lot of times the Lord gives me messages long before I have opportunity to share them. So I just know, I just kind of file it away and when the opportunity comes up. And uh, uh, so today's was like that. I immediately knew what I was going to be talking about because it's kind of been churning on my heart. Uh, part of it is, of course, our, uh, my own personal struggle with uh, the things of God that I don't understand. And I'll be the first to tell you that, you know, you might think I've got it all together. I'm telling you, I'm one messed up dude. And if Jesus didn't have hold of me, you would see all of it. So what you're seeing is what Jesus fixed and redeemed, and that's what you're seeing. If there's anything good in me, it's Jesus. The rest is all me. It's all nonsense. And that's something that we all need to realize. Uh, some of us think that we work hard enough, <clears throat> do enough good deeds, stay on the right side, keep the balance of the scales, you know, weighted to the good side. It doesn't matter. All our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord, and everything we do of our flesh is completely worthless to him and he abhors it. And that is why he sometimes will say, people will come up and say, Lord, didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we raise the dead? Didn't we? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And I certainly do not want to be in that crowd. So we can do, be doing a lot of good things for the Lord for the wrong reasons. The only reason to do anything for the Lord is because the Lord asks you to do it and you love him and you know he loves you. I don't understand why he loves me because I wouldn't pick me. And I don't even understand why he gives me stuff to do. Because uh, I found out the Lord works in very interesting ways. Sometimes we think we've got to get it all together before the Lord can use us. What I found out is the exact opposite. Scripture tells us what? That we are made. He is made strong in our what? weakness. And in our foolishness, his wisdom is shown, right? So the best thing for us to do is stay weak and dumb. And then Jesus can really do his stuff. No matter how smart you think you are, I mean, I'm a halfway intelligent person. I, I think I know a few things. But I know when it comes to the Lord, what he says and what he gives you to give is the only thing that matters. Uh, my smartness 
and my idea of how God thinks good should be has created more problems for me and other people than anything else I've ever done. So I just learned, take your hands off. Way back when, the Lord, uh, you know, called me into preaching and teaching. He said, you only have one. I sat down before. I said, Lord, I'm not moving until you give me a word for this season. This is, I just taken over uh, senior pastor of a church. And, and I just sat one day. I said, I'm not moving. I mean, I need, I need something, an anchor for this season. And uh, so I just sat there and sat there. And during this process, one of the things that he, he told me, he said, look, your job is very simple. And I say this is the same for all of us who serve the Lord. He says, your job is to come to me with an empty tray. And I'll give you the things you need to give to other people because you sure don't know what other people need. I do. And he showed me a picture of me coming before a tray, and he just loads it up with stuff. All sorts of things. Some's dessert, some's main course, some's a steak, some's a green bean, I don't know, whatever the spiritual equivalent of your life that you need. And I have no idea. A lot of times when we come up here and preach and share the word, it's more like a buffet than it is a particular course of a meal. And everything here is not for you, but there'll be one thing there for you, and that's what you need to get hold of. And today's going to be like that too. So a lot of times, you know, I feel like we're like, because everybody in the body has different needs. And different. We're not all have the same problems at the same time. We're not all victorious at the same time. So today, somebody might be up and somebody else might be completely down. So if I preach a message about being down, the guy who's up and goes, what's wrong with the preacher? I'm fine. You get what I'm saying? So only the Lord knows. <clears throat> and what he showed me was a picture. He says, he says, now take this and go and go. Good stuff, good stuff. Have some good stuff, good stuff. That's what preachers do. Good news of the gospel. Like street hawkers, you know. Hey, you, have you heard about this? Good stuff, good stuff. And he says, some will take it, some won't. But that's not your problem. And the other thing he said was, don't you dare put anything on it that I didn't put on that, and don't you dare take anything off of it unless I do it. He says, this is your life. If you can manage that without interference, you'll be fine. So all of us need to know that. The things that the Lord gives us are his things. They're not our things. And we're about the master's business. And the master's business is the master's business. So be careful how you handle the things of the Lord. Because he will call you into account for it. <clears throat> Good, bad, or indifferent. Doesn't matter what it is. So, so today I want to, if I had to call, the, I guess, the message something, it would be walking on water. Yeah, you didn't know you could do that, did you? You're going to find out you can't. So I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to go from there. So Jesus has been out. He's just gotten through preaching, and finally the people are tired, and they come to the side of the lake, and, and the disciples say, okay, it's time. I mean, it's the end of the session for that day, right? So these people, we just need to send them home because they're all hungry. It's time to go home. You know, it's like the end of a long preacher's message when everybody wants to go home and eat. Oh, anyway. And uh, Jesus said, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. I said, well, we don't have anything. All we have is the five loaves and the fish. And he said, well, bring them to me. And then what? So the disciples brought what they had, and Jesus multiplied. We know the story, and 5,000 were fed, right? After that, he said, the crowd got so great, and Jesus said, well, let's get into the boat, and, I mean, just go away. And so the disciples pushed away. So this has all just happened. So the disciples are out on the boat, <clears throat> It says Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So this is chapters, uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33 or something. Yep. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the Sea of Galilee, right? Lake Gennesaret? Yeah, okay. One thing you have to know about the Sea of Galilee is that it's the waves on it as bad as ocean waves when it gets going. So fishermen didn't like to get out on it. I mean, you get four or five foot high waves. From what I understand, the waves are as bad as ocean waves, even though it was a small sea that was self-contained, unexposed. So wind comes across it, it moves his boat, right? <clears throat> During the fourth watch of the night, 
Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. <clears throat> when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So, Jesus, I mean Peter, the big mouth of the group, what does he do immediately? Oh man, that's cool. Jesus, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. How cool is that going to be? Jesus says, come. Now Peter got down, out of the boat, walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, today, Lord, as we see what you have to say to us, I pray that you bless the reading of your word, and that every word will land where it's supposed to, and you will speak through me, Lord, and speak to all of our hearts the one thing that you want us to catch today. Father, we just commit this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, one thing, a lot of us are like Peter. We like to talk, you know. And we get in the middle of God's work and then everything goes crazy and you're like, ah! So, you know what I like about Peter? You know, Peter was a fisherman. I don't know if you guys have been around fishermen. I have. And, you know, when, when Jesus came and called Peter, James, and John, you know, they were all fishing. He said, come what? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So if Peter was a typical fisherman, I'm going to take an editor's liberty here and just kind of suppose. He was probably a good cusser, like a lot of sailors were. And he was probably thinking when Jesus showed up, what the blankety-blank does he mean to make me fishers of men? I got a living to do. Go on, leave me alone and do something. This is, you know, Peter, a very impetuous fellow. His mouth was always two feet ahead of his two feet. But, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so this, this happened all the time. So what does Peter do, you know? And you, you'll notice that of all the things that people said, Peter's words always got him in some sort of trouble. He'd say something and do something else. So, you know, well, Jesus came to wash all these. He said, well, if you're going to wash, just wash me all over. I mean, just wash my feet, right? This is how he does. And then when he, when he gets, uh, then they all run away from the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is getting uh, captured by, by, by the priests. And then he goes to warm his hands by the fire. Where does he end up denying Peter? I mean, Jesus three times said, well, I never knew the guy. So we will find in Peter some part of ourselves if you just study the different things that he did. And what you know about Peter, Peter was a human being as human as human could be. He did things out of impetuousness. He did things out of good intention without ever thinking what the next step was going to be. He just kind of, I mean, you know, I'm a slightly cautious guy. I'm adventurous. But, you know, the first words to come out of my mouth would have been, hey, can I walk on the water? We're like, oh, that's cool. I'd say, I wonder if anybody else can do it. I mean, I have a thought process. He's like, whoa, it's you. Let me come out. So in spite of what Peter did and everything he didn't do, one thing you got to admit, the guy had guts. Not only that, he had faith. See, the only reason Peter would even think something like that is because he knew who it was. Because what was words, Lord, if it is you, what do you say? Tell me to come to you on the water. He spelt it out. And Jesus said, come. His faith in Christ was so much. That he just, he did what Jesus was supposed to be doing. Now, some might think, well, that's crazy. What did Jesus tell his disciples when he was talking to them one time? He says, not only will you do these things that I'm doing, but you will do what? Greater things than I. So you see, guys, a lot of times when we're in church, when we're in ministry, when we're Christians, we spend so much of our time gazing at our navels that we forget who we are. I'm having this trouble. I mean, 
the devil just beat me to pulp and that guy doesn't like me and I have bills to pay. And, you know, one would think sometimes by looking at the way Christians behave, that their God is not the God of the universe, that Jesus didn't really exist and, and that he has, I mean, nothing to do with their lives. Now, who wants to follow a Jesus like that? I don't. You know, I want to follow a God who is able to do something about where I am and other people and other places. I mean, I want to be like David, say, oh, Lord, just kill all my enemies. I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, yeah, that's my flesh speaking. But I have prayed those militant prayers sometimes when I had people come up in my face and the Lord took care of them. So we're not some beat up, troubled, distressed, faithless bunch of people that Jesus somehow cobbled together and said, well, I'll see you one day in heaven. We have a life to live here. And the life we live here is the equivalent of walking on water. That's the only way you can live. Otherwise, you'll be one miserable Christian. Where will you be if you're not walking on water? You'll be in it, sinking, say, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And that's not who we're designed to be. <clears throat> so today, while I'm talking to you, you know, I'm not giving you a 10-point thing. You'll hear some things. You know, take note of things that you need. I'm just kind of sharing the things the Lord laid in my heart concerning this matter. So Peter goes out, and what is the thing that troubles him? The waves. The wind. Actually, it doesn't say waves anywhere. I kept looking for the word waves. It says he saw the wind. I was like, how can somebody see the wind? I tried yesterday, but I couldn't see anything. I tried a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't see anything either. Has anybody seen the wind in here? You know, when the Bible uses words, you've got to pay attention to why it would use the wind. What Peter saw was the effect of the wind, and that's how he knew there was the wind, right? So, we have, so what is it that causes waves and wind in your life? What is it that causes you to sink? And at that point, <laughs> you don't have much left to say except what? Lord, save me. And I'm telling you folks, Scripture tells us what? Take up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow the Lord, right? So I want to make a couple of distinctions in, in the way we live sometimes. So there's this thing called salvation. And then there's this thing called sanctification. All right? Might be two words, for lack of those of the proper term to use. When we come into a saving knowledge of Christ, we gain salvation. That's what saves us. Right? And that is, I'm a firm believer, that's an eternal thing. Now, just because I'm saved doesn't mean I'm living a perfect life. Because God's working on us, right? So the new creation that is in Christ has got to grow. And we're not born adults, right? We're born as babies. We grow up into little kids, and we grow up into young people, and then we grow up into older people, and we grow into the person that we are. It's likewise with the new creation. You're not born an adult spiritual creature. There is spiritual growth that happens in our life from the time God births us a new life. Everybody get that? So if you're in your walk of life and you find yourself in the water going, Lord, help me, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's part of growing up and asking. So, so what happens is that there's that. Then this thing called self, uh, sanctification, which is the Lord working out the salvation that he has given to us in our life. So now, if, we, if I was... If I got saved today and I died tomorrow, I wouldn't have any sanctification going on because I'm just with the Lord, I'm done. But a lot of times that's not how it happens, right? We have this life to live. And we're all assured, I'm trying to think who it was, it's not the future or the hereafter that concerns me, but the, the present living that gives me more trouble than anything else. I mean, I know I'm going to be with Jesus. I know I believe in him. I know all my kids are because they trust him. I know many of my friends are and some aren't. That's assured. But between now and then, I got a few years on this, on, in this life, and that gives me more trouble than that assurance that I have down there. We don't have any problem with that promises, right? That 
is the part where we are walking on water or not walking on water, depending on where we are. And part of this, so uh, Philippians chapter 2. Salvation, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, right? Salvation begins and it continues to work in our life. And that part of it is sanctification, where the Lord's working out all our kinks. And when he's finally done with you, you'll be God. So therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, this is Paul talking to the Philippian church. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, if all there was to live in a Christian life was getting saved and going to heaven, we wouldn't be needing this part right here. What does this mean, working out of salvation with fear and trembling? So you start, it's like any other job you have in your life. You learn the job, you become good at it, and you get better at it. And one day you'll be a master at it, and then everybody coming to you for advice. Right? That's why we hire experts, right? <clears throat> so, this is our process. Salvation begins. So we have this period of time in our life when there's a lot of this sinking and walking, sinking and walking going on. And that will be normal. Nobody is going to be born into Christ and just start walking on water and just stay walking on water. So he sinks. And what did Jesus do? He reaches out and grabs him. Now, here's the coolest thing. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that part right there. So Peter, sinking in the water and then coming back out of it, is a picture of baptism. So this is a little side note. Right? Romans chapter 6, verses 3. You know, a lot of times you may have wondered sometimes why preachers do this thing like, buried with Christ through baptism. Raised in units of life. Where does that come from? This is the verse. It's not something that is made up, okay? Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, when we are buried with him in baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, the one thing I want to ask you was, how badly was Jesus worried about the wind and the waves? Was he worried? Was he hassled? Was he going, oh man, these waves, they're going to sink Peter. What am I going to do? God doesn't have that problem. So we, as his children, should realize that he doesn't have that problem. And because he doesn't have that problem, we don't have that problem. See, Let's just break this down really simple, all right? So we have little Nathan runs around here. Say I can walk on water. Nathan comes out to me. Just just pretend he's my son, which he is in a way. And he says, help, Dad, I'm sinking. What do you think? I say, oh, man, you don't know how to walk on water? You should have known by now. I mean, come on. You're six years old. You can do a lot of things. Swim. I mean, come on, do this leg thing right here. You'll come right back out of the water like those Olympic swimmers do when they do their water things. Come on. You think that's what I'm going to say? Why do we treat our walk with Christ that way? Like he's letting us flounder and he has abandoned us and he doesn't care and he doesn't know what to do, and somehow if I struggle hard enough, I'll stay afloat, and maybe I'll reach the shore and I'll survive. That is new. That is not who we are. Anytime I get in the water, all I have to learn to do is say, Lord, what's the rest of it? Lord, save me. And it's not a matter of getting saved on one day. 
but is working out our salvation with fear and trembling every day. No matter how big your problem is, no matter whether you messed up a lot or messed up a little, it doesn't matter. We have to learn to say, Lord, save me. I'm telling you, folks, if we don't learn how to say, Lord, save me, you will never survive a day in your life. You may be living something, but you're dead already. And don't think you know anything about getting saved, because you don't. That is why the Lord said, and Isaiah, I believe, says that, I saw there was no one. So with my own arm, I worked out salvation. The Lord knows all about saving. It's his business. And until we learn to be humble enough and to be dumb enough to say, man, I don't know what to do. The only thing I can say is, Jesus, help me. And don't wait till it becomes so big that you can't say it when your head's under the water. <laughs> do it immediately. Do it immediately. And you will be raised up. To me, this is the coolest thing about this passage. It's not that Jesus walked out. I mean, Peter walked out to Jesus. The coolest thing about the passage is that Peter walked back to the boat. See, most of, most of us will stop with a sinking part, and we're done. Because, I mean, the waves, I mean, they're just too much. I mean, it's, Jesus, where are you? I mean, I'm sinking. The life that Peter lived after that day, what do you think is happening to this man? He said, man, I was on the water. I was sinking. Even though I walked on the water for a little while, I sank. And Jesus got me up, and when he picked me up, I don't have any problems with the water anymore. I walked back to the boat with him. And see, this is where we're supposed to be as believers, to walk back on the water. We're not designed to sink. But devil may tell you that, because this is what he wants to do. He wants to sink you. So you get so covered up with all your problems, and you get so involved in them, and you keep looking down, and you go, oh, I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this mess. Lord, save me! And I'm telling you, that's one of the things, if you were to read my mind, you would hear about every five seconds. I, people... If we are under the illusion that somehow we can do something to improve our situation, as far as those kind of things go, we're deluding ourselves. Only the Lord can do that. Only Jesus has the power. But what does Psalm say? He lifted my feet out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. He's, he's the only one capable of doing this lifting business. Everybody else is fooling themselves. So I have kind of determined a long time ago when I figured this out about that I couldn't fix me and that I was going to be stay broken for a good portion of my life. Some things get fixed and they stay fixed. Other things are in the process of being fixed. So I'm not the same person I was when, the, when I first met the Lord. I'm telling you that. That person was a different animal altogether. But then again, I'm not quite the person that I'm going to be that Jesus saw me before. See, we, we, we look at ourselves in a certain way. Jesus, uh, God the Father looks at us. He sees the righteousness of Christ around us. He didn't see anything but Jesus. He didn't see any of the blemishes. He didn't see any of the things you messed up. You know, and, 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 and the things that, when Jesus died for our sins, he didn't just die for the sins uh, that, uh, that are, you know, yesterday. It's for all sin in your life. From the moment before you were born, Till the day you die. Every bit of it. So guess what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm going to mess something up. I mean, I'm good at that. In spite of my best intentions, I'm going to mess something up. I'm going to think a bad thought about somebody. I want to punch somebody, but I just keep my hand because if I punch somebody, I might lose my job. I get thrown in jail or, you know. What did Jesus say? And if you have anger in your heart to your brother, just like committing murder, well, how do we fix this? We can't. 
That's the whole thing about God giving you a new creation. So, let's get back to the new creation here. I'm, I'm kind of talking like this, but just, just hang on. <clears throat> so, new creation has got to grow. And that growth part only comes by learning to walk on water. Jesus saves us. He puts our foot. And doesn't matter. And see, here's another thing I've got to tell you about circumstances. God is not perturbed by circumstances. He's not worried about history. He's not worried about whether Kim Jong-il will push a button and nuke all of Asia, or whether Trump will really mess things up, or whether, oh my God, who do we put in the White House, or who we not put in the White House, or oh my God, what's going to happen with the taxes are going up, and you know, my kids can't find a job, and you know, how am I going to pay my bills? He knows all these things. He's not perturbed by any of it. It doesn't affect his thinking. It doesn't affect how he feels towards us. It doesn't affect what he's going to do with us. What we have to learn to say is, Lord, save me, and abandon ourselves to him completely with no plans, no plan Bs, no ifs or buts, no conditions, and let the Lord do his thing. And when the Lord does his thing, he picks you out and puts you back in the water, and you walk on it. External circumstances are under the control of a master. So this season in my life, you know, we, none of us are exempt from emotions and, and the effects of uh, things that drain our lives or fill our lives up. All of us go through that. And, you know, over the past few years, one of the things that, for me personally and as, as a family also, we, you know, we struggle with, the condition of our son. Now, I got to tell you that sometimes it's the most perplexing thing to me because I'm a person who 100% believes in full, absolute healing. To this day, on the same week that I pray for my son, nothing happens. I pray for somebody else who needs a healing and they get healed. It's been happening for the last how many ever years. So sometimes you got to stop and wonder, you know, there's something wrong with me. What the heck is going on? You know, it's what's going on and, and, and I, I have seen you know I've seen a lot of things that the Lord has done through me through other people it's not for lack of knowledge or witness or even for faith but sometimes what these things will do is they will if you sit and think about it long enough and if you start losing your hope and trust in the Lord they will sap your energy you're prone to be depressed you'll be prone to be angry and really anger and depression are the same thing a lot of people are depressed and just angry. They just turn inward. That's what causes depression. Because we're not, and I, I have to at that point say, Lord, save me. And he does something. I don't know what it is, but he changes my spirit. He gives me strength or whatever it is. And otherwise, I'm done. I'd be a crazy person right now. With all the things that we have to, you know, handle. Absolutely would. So unless the grace and peace of the Lord is imparted into our life every day. Now, here's the funny thing about Jesus. He's a perfect gentleman, and the Holy Spirit is too. He will only go far as you let him go. Think about that for a second. I'll give you two passages of, well, I don't have the passages, but I'll share that with you. So Jesus is walking along, and a blind man cries out to him, right? Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know, the disciples say, hey, man, hush. Try to keep him quiet. He got all the louder. And what's the first thing Jesus turned around and asked this guy? Do you remember? What do you want? You know, when I read that passage, I went, duh. <laughs> Jesus, I mean... I know, sometimes it sounds disrespectful. This is how I talk to Jesus. So, you know, you're the son of God. You can read his mind. You know what I mean? What do you think he wants? I mean, a drink of water? The guy's blind. He's heard what you can do. What do you think he wants? And what in the world would you ask him a question like that? Have you ever thought about that? If you look back 
through all the miracles that Jesus did, the ones that are clearly talked about and mentioned, you will see that Jesus always asked the person what they want. And the one instance he didn't, he stopped the crowd, like the woman who touched them and said, who touched me? After the fact. Why do you think that is? And Paul, and you start reading the New Testament, you say, what did he say? Bring all your petitions, all your wants before the Lord, supplications, lay them, and let him know what you want. Why do we pray? If God is almighty, and he can read our minds and thoughts, he knows all things, why does he need us to verbalize the things that he already knows? I don't know. No, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll give you an answer. <laughs> so the secret, <laughs> in many ways, principles, that God himself has established. Jesus set this up, right? So we overcome, our revelation says, we overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. That is the formula by which all things are done in this world. The words of our testimony is not enough if there's no authority of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus gives us the authority. The name of Jesus gives us authority because his blood has bought. So a lot of Christians will walk about with authority but no power. What's the difference between the two? The authority is a positional thing that's given to you to do certain things. The power is the ability to actually execute that authority. So say, for instance, I'm a policeman, and I'm dressed you know, in the uniform, whatever, and I come and say to you, hey, you need to move your car over here. What are you going to do? Why is that? The guy has power to make your life miserable if you don't do what he says, right? Now, if you knew that it didn't matter what he said, no matter what his uniform was, what would happen? Anarchy. We wouldn't be living in a civil society. This is how we regulate how things happen in the spirit world. As believers, we don't live in three dimensions. We live in four. So we have the X, Y, Z that we can see. But surrounding us immediately, right now, even as we speak, there's a whole realm of demons and angels and spirit. There's a spiritual realm that encompasses all this. And when we pray, that's what it affects. When we ask in the name of Jesus, do this, and we pray for somebody halfway across the world, when it changes, that's what it affects. And all of the things that we see happening here are a byproduct of this bigger thing. And you have to learn to look at the world in that way. Otherwise, you'll always be worried about what the guy in Korea is going to do. Don't worry about it. He's ruled by the enemy. That's why he acts like he does. Who's the prince of this world? Who did Jesus say was the prince of this world? It wasn't him. It was the devil. See, a lot of times we, we don't read our Bibles, we don't study the things in advance, so we'll go about not understanding what is really going on in the world around us. As long as kingdom, I mean, as, as the earth exists, the devil has certain authority over things that happens over here. That is why this world has got to pass away. And you want to come where there is no other authority. Now, the only person who can supersede the devil is Jesus. Because he is the king of kings. The devil is a mere prince. The prince has got to do what the king says. But we, who are a little lower than the angels, have been given this authority through the blood of Christ to make those guys move. That's where the life is at. And everything in your life that the enemy throws at you is designed to keep you from exercising that, thinking that way, believing that way, doing that way. Because as long as you're sinking, it doesn't matter to him. 
But boy, if he started walking on water, he's done for. Put the word of God in your heart. What is the full armor of God? And all that full armor of God, how many offensive weapons are there? One. And what is that? The sword? Right? All the rest is defensive armor. And what you'll find out is that a majority of Christians put on the defensive armor and hunker down. Because the devil's busy. He sees you putting on armor, he's like throwing stuff at you, right? So you're like, let me get this on real quick before I get hurt. And then they stay like that. Oh God, help me! What Jesus wants you to do is take the sword and have at it. I'm telling you, this is what scripture says about the kingdom of God is one of violence. Unless the violent take it, that's where it's done at. The violence is not done with other people. It's in the spiritual realm. <clears throat> I didn't really mean to go there, but I feel like I need to share that. So, many, many years ago, I was living with my uncle while my parents were still missionaries. And I was going to college and I had to be in a different country. And I heard this guy preaching. My uncle used to listen to different preachers. And I just remember two lines out of the whole thing. I was just walking by the room and I heard it. So it was a pastor of what at that time was the world's largest church, which is in Seoul, South Korea. They had 300,000 members. His name was Young Cho. And he was sharing. He was speaking in Dallas or someplace. And he was speaking. And you know, he had, you could tell he was an American because he had the Korean voice. And I'll attempt to do that, but just for your entertainment. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so he says, you Americans, when you get up in the morning and pray, you ask the Lord, he says, oh Lord, help me with this. I'm hurting. This guy's doing this. That guy's doing that. And, and I'm so sorry. And you know, he said, you know what I do when I get up in the morning? I said, devil, I'm coming for you. I heard that 40 years ago. And it stuck in my brain. And the Lord imprinted that and said, you got to be that guy. All of us are designed to be that way. Trust me. Put on the whole armor of God. doesn't matter what you are inside. The thing is designed to make you who you're supposed to be, the warrior, bearing the word of God, sword, taking the enemy's head off. Wherever you find it. And be merciless about it. Don't dabble with this stuff. Now, to think, to give you some encouragement in that score, Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe up on the Go to verse 15. About knowing Jesus. I was listening to some of the words from the worship, and I thought, oh, this is cool. It all kind of fits in. They call me and say, well, is there anything you want? I said, no. I'll just trust the Lord. He'll give the right ones for today. And I think he did. I know he did. All right. So Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And this is my prayer for a lot of you. When you call me, sometimes when you don't call me, I don't know, this is, your, this is our pastor's prayer for all of us. <clears throat> for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. Okay, this is the important thing. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Unless you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you cannot know the Lord. The Lord has to, here I am. And once you see it, you can't go backwards. It's just like once you know something, you know you know it. I mean, you can't unknow it, right? But we think we do that sometimes a lot of us. And that's the way the Lord's designed it. 
And once the revelation is made to us, you cannot un-know un that. That's a bad word. I don't even know if there's such a word. But it makes sense. All right. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, comma, so, these are, so that you may know, first, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. All right, hold on to that for a second. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, did, which he did what? Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Man, Paul just go on. Paul goes on long sentences, doesn't he? Far above all rule. Okay, you got to listen to this. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is a passage of superlatives, as I call it. What does he talk about this power? The power that, okay, his prayer is what? That we can understand this great power. What is this great power? So, who is this mighty God? So, we're talking about the Word. So, I'm, I'm driving this back for you guys to understand how important your words are under the blood of Christ. How did God make the world? He spoke it into existence, right? And what does John chapter 1 tell us about Jesus? That the Word. The Word was with God and was God, right? And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Now, Old Testament is full of words. Right? Jeremiah chapter 1 or 2 says, you know, Jeremiah says, well, I'm just a child, you know. The Lord comes and touches his tongue and says, don't say I'm just a child. I put my Word in your mouth. Part of the New Covenant is that no longer will. One man teach another man anything of the Lord. But I myself will write my Word in your heart. And you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. You guys catching all this? There's a lot of stuff. You kind of got to sit and think about this. I give you stuff to chew on for later, okay? So here's the thing. That we are created what? In the image of? And we speak words in the image of? God. We do things in the image of? God. You getting this here? All right. So this power that's in us, that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, will speak through us the words of God that has dominion over what? All authority, all power, all rule. You are not some wimpy, useless, weak, two-year-old Christian. You're the hammer of God. You're the sword of God. You're the spirit of God. You're the word of God. You're the life of God. And we have to get this into us. And we understand this when we submit ourselves to the Lord without saying, I know anything about anything. And we learn like Peter says, the Lord saved me. He says, yes, you are. I'm going to put you on this water and this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk on water. You're going to take the word of the Lord and you're going to kill the enemy. Now, if you're not in for that kind of trip, you should abandon Jesus, go find something else to do. Christianity is not for wimps. I am one, but I'm not one. If God is for me, is all this connecting to you guys here? It's like a big string, you know, like a tapestry. You pull that one in and everything moves on the picture. So we have to learn this part of learning to walk on water. <clears throat> so if anyone is in Christ, the Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new 
is here. All this is from God who reconciled us through himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why did God go through all this trouble, creating history? You know, when people die, Jesus on the cross, and here we are, you know, over 2,000 years later. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, what was the biggest thing that he enjoyed doing? Hanging out. See, he walked with them in the cold. This is, this is who we are created to be. Okay? There's an English uh, preacher called Graham Cook, and I read one of his lines in one of his books, and he says, you know, we are human beings, not human doings. God created us to be human beings, not human doings. He doesn't need anything we do. I mean, come on. If God can wake, I mean, you think the God who made the world, spoke it into existence, really needs anything we have? But he loves us. And he does need us. The way he's developed, this is his own system. We didn't come up with it. So the word of our testimony on the blood of the land gives us the authority and the power to execute all the directives of the kingdom, whatever they may be, whether small, large, medium, doesn't matter. And what's the other thing Jesus told him, told his disciples, what? If you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Folks, we've got to understand what all this things mean. And those are conditional. Abide in me and my word abide in you. And the word being the sword of the Lord, your offensive weapon. See how all this ties into each other. All of scripture, as it says itself, is given for our... And folks, I would encourage you to read the Old Testament. You cannot understand any of the New Testament without it. If you think you do, You've got a big hole in your thinking, and you need to fill it. <clears throat> I don't mean to be ugly, but that's just the way it is. So, getting back to Peter. The guy who said, I don't know Jesus. The guy who couldn't keep his mouth closed to benefit him for one minute. In the end, what happened with Peter? You know, Peter became the head, the first head of the church. Oh. So a small instance of greater things. We don't have to work hard at this kind of stuff, folks. The Holy Spirit, oh, let me get finished that. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> will only go as far as you let him go. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would, let me in, right? What do you say? I will come in and... All right, that's not a salvation message only. That is our daily life. You know, when I'm walking around being stupid, yo, stupid, I'm standing at the door. <laughs> you want some advice? <laughs> Let's translate it. All right. <clears throat> You forgot I was here? I'm like, oh, Lord, save me. All right, now we can do some business. And this is what Jesus means by unless you're like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'll share another story with you. When uh, we were at the other building, I was teaching a Sunday school class for a while, and Daniel was, I don't know, he could just talk. He just started running and talking. And it was inevitable. The kids got out early, and our class wasn't quite finished. And your door would just fly open. <laughs> and he comes, hey, Dad, can I have a dollar? I need to get a thing out of the machine. You know, we're all in the middle of Sunday school, right? Class going on. Daniel has no idea about the sense of propriety that his dad's teaching a class, that there's, I mean, 
that there's something called knock on the door and excuse me, can I, I mean, nothing. All he knows is that he needs a buck to get something out of that machine that costs a buck. You remember we used to have those machines sitting out with a buck for everything? And then he knows the person who has the buck. And all he's got to do is see if he can get a buck from his dad because then he can get what he needs. He has no consideration about the appropriateness of anything else. Circumstances, places, people, things, doesn't matter to him. Not one Sunday, but every Sunday it seemed like. Boom! Hey, Dad, can I have a dollar? Boom! Hey, Dad, this. And the first time we did it, I was a little irritated because I might have been in the middle of delivering some important principle, you know? Everybody's got to know this. And here's my son disrupting the entire setup. And the Lord spoke to me about it when I got home. He says, you got to be like him. You want something from me. Lose all sense of propriety. Lose all sense of appropriateness. Lose all sense of decorum. As David said, I would be even more undignified. Now please keep your clothes on. If you don't know what that means, read that passage. It says, be that way. What I'm trying to encourage you folks is that sinking on our way from the boat is not our journey. Walking whack back with Jesus on the water is our journey. That's our journey. That's only part of it. And we may feel like that in this life. And it might not be a one-time occurrence. It might be a thing you have to go through daily for years. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus knows he's on the water. And he's there. As soon as you say, Lord, help me, he'll get you out of it. Now, if you're being stupid, he's probably paddling you behind a little bit. Scripture says, you know, everyone the Lord loves you disciplines, right? We're not going to escape that. I could keep going, but I believe this is where I'm supposed to stop. Anyway, I hope this has been useful to you. Let me encourage you to think about these things. You know, a lot of times some preachers give a message and stuff like that. It's not like the Coke machine. You know, you put a buck in, you press E5 and it pops out a Coke and you drink it and you throw it away and you're done. God gives you food. Food has to be digested. It has to be chewed up. And think about it. So if the Lord pricks your heart with something about it, you know, go back, listen to the message. You know, read the words. And the Lord will reveal what it is that he wants you to know. If you didn't get anything out of today's message, all I can say is, you've been asleep and I saw you. <laughs> Let me pray and we'll be done. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that even as I was speaking, you were putting life into me, Lord, because you gave me so much through your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is living that it's sharper than any sword, that it brings life, that it is living water, that you have made us to be rivers of living water, Father. So, Father, I pray that as we leave today here, that you would pour into us and pour out of us, Lord, that everywhere we go, we bring life, Father. And people say, surely you're the Son of God because of the things that you do through us, Father. So, Lord, I pray that the word would take root and bear fruit, Father. And, Lord, may your will be done. And may your kingdom come in our lives as we seek you and pursue you, Father. Give us strength. Lord, help us to not think so much of ourselves and the things that we've done wrong. That we forget how great your grace is towards us, Father. Help us to think of you. We're always waiting, always knocking, and always at our door, always ready to help. And thank you for your long suffering. Father, forgive us where, Lord, we have been foolish, Lord, and forgive us, Lord, for the ways we're going to be foolish tomorrow, Lord. You know we are but flesh, but you, O oh Lord, you love us.
And we thank you for that. We'll bless your holy name. And we praise you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the lamb that was slain. You're the foundation, before the foundations of the world, Lord. You're our life. You're, you're the beginner. And you, you, you're the one who authors our faith. And you're the one who finishes it, Lord. And Lord, you are our everything. Our strong shield. Our fortress. We just come to you and Lord, we say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, save us. And may your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.